Today's sermon title is The Thanksgiving Secret. The Thanksgiving Secret, Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Let's start with the story. Uh, Grandma was babysitting her three-year-old grandson, Sean, for the very first time. So who's doing the babysitting? Who's doing the babysitting? Grandma. Okay, listen, I'm going to quiz you here. And uh, the kid's how old? Okay. And uh, is it the first time or second time? First time. First time. So they're at the supper table, and she says, well, let's thank God for our food. Being a typical three-year-old, Sean said, no, I don't want to. Have you any grandparents in the house? Uh, have you been have you been here at this? No, I don't want to. She she she's cool. She remained calm. She says, "Well, at grandma's house, we thank God for the food before we eat." And he said, "You can't make me." Still calm and patient, grandma says, "Well, if we don't pray, we don't eat." And then the youngster replied, I would say prayer if you'd made mashed potatoes. <laughs> hey, many of us maybe are not too different from three-year-old Sean. We're not always thankful for what life puts on our plate. It's not that we want to be ungrateful. It's just that we honestly don't see much to be thankful for. We might, we, we might want to be more thankful if we had mashed potatoes on our plate. Or, let's put it like this way, if he'd given us more money for the bills and for Christmas presents, or if we weren't struggling with uh, loneliness, or if uh, we didn't have quite so many worries or fears or problems. And you know what? I found out, even though we, lived in, we live in the first world, you folks do know that, right? Most of your problems are first world problems. I could take you to Malawi, where I was this summer, and you could see some real problems uh, that are, you know, in, in, in struggling countries, people making 50 bucks a month. They got real problems, 90% unemployment. But you know what? It all seems real, whether you're first world or fifth world. Life is just sometimes hard and heavy. So... As Sean put it, how can you be thankful when your plate is stacked up with such yucky stuff? Well, this morning I want to share a secret with you. A secret of thanksgiving, a secret that can be summed up in one simple word. Let's say it together. Contentment. Okay, come on, give me a football shout here. Let's say it again. One, two, three. Contentment. Yes. Contentment wins. Wherever you find contentment, you're going to find gratitude. Wherever you find discontentment, then you're going to find, or here's the big three, are you ready? Grumbling, complaining, and ingratitude. Have you ever been around a person that was grumbling, or a group that was grumbling, or, or <laughs> complaining? You know what I found out about those things? Whatever you're looking for, you're going to find. And then ingratitude. Our first point today is this. Thanksgiving and contentment are virtually inseparable. They go together. 
If you're going to be a person that is content, then you're going to learn to be a person that has thanksgiving for what's in your life. I want to show you how you can be content and thankful even when life is hard and if you don't feel like being very thankful. The secret is found in Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Let's read this together. Paul writes, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Wow, what a statement. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry. I don't know about that last part, being hungry. Uh, whether living in plenty or want. And then he says this great, great passage here. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. King James Version, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Mm. So here's some of the truths. Some other truths that flow from the pen of Paul in the book of Philippians. Philippians 1.3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Wow. Philippians 1.21, for, for, for to me to live is Christ and die is gain. Boy, he had it all sorted out. You know, if I'm living, I'm living for Christ. And if I die, <laughs> that's even better because I get to be with Christ. Philippians 2.14, do all things without complaining and disputing. Woo! I've been pastoring now 100 years. No, it just, it just seems like it. Uh, my friend here, David Poole, is helping me out. He's, I, if I drive any distance, I go to sleep. And I thought I'd better not go to sleep driving out to Overton. And so he's so great to uh, help me with the driving today. And we go back to the 1960s. Okay, I'm not going to talk about our age here. Uh, <laughs> do all things without complaining and disputing. Pastor David and I, we've seen a lot of people complain and dispute. I've been in ministry such a long time. And I'll tell you what, it's the greatest job in the world. In fact, it's not a job. It's something I thoroughly enjoy that I'm called to. And um, <clears throat> you say, well, Pastor David, how did you pick, how'd you pick uh, pastoring? I didn't. The Godfather picked me. Capiche? So do all things without complaining and disputing. You'll always have something to complain over, so you better not go down that road. Give God thanksgiving. Look at Philippians 4.4. 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Paul is a man that's thankful. He's, he's thankful whether he lives or dies. If he has trouble or a trial that he cannot shake, he still has the joy of the Lord. He's found the secret of thanksgiving. It's contentment. How can it be this way? Well, he begins to explain it. Our second point, you can learn to be content. You can learn to be content. It's not something that comes natural. You've got to intentionalize it. You've got to learn it and put it into practice. A monk joined a monastery and took a vow of silence. How many of you could take a vow of silence? <laughs> so after the first 10 years of absolutely no speaking at all, his superior called him in and asked, do you have anything to say? And the monk replied, food bad. 
After another 10 years of perfect silence, the monk again the monk again had opportunity to voice his thoughts. When the superior said, "What do you have to say?" He said, "Bed hard." Another 10 years went by and he was called in before his superior and uh, he was asked to give a response and he said, do you have anything to say? And he said, I quit. <laughs> and the older monk replied, that doesn't surprise me a bit. You've done nothing but gripe and complain ever since you got here. <laughs> have you ever noticed how easy it is to be discontent? It seems like it's almost natural to grumble, stand around the water cooler after work, and see people gather to voice protest over how the company is run. Get a group of students together and talk about the math teacher. Nobody likes the math teacher or the basketball coach. I mean, you know, it's just grumbling. The human nature gravitates, gravitates towards griping. But Paul says, I've learned to be content. Contentment didn't come natural to Paul. He had to learn the secret of being thankful. He had to learn to be content. It's a choice. And once he'd been on top of the world as a Roman citizen and a Jewish rabbi, you know, Paul was a great guy. He was brilliant, well-educated, probably financially well-off. And then he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. How many know what happened to him? Anybody know what happened to him? Yes, what happened to him? He was blind. What else? He was knocked off his, the animal he was riding on, right? And didn't God speak to him? And nobody else could understand. That sounded like thunder. And God said, what are you doing, buddy? You're coming after me? Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you're persecuting. What? You're real? <laughs> what? Yeah, and then, then God, Jesus says, listen, I'm going to show you great things you're going to have to suffer for my namesake. And you're going to carry my gospel, my, my, my word to the Gentiles. In one incident, God blows up this guy that was so arrogant and proud. He blows up his life, and that's what God does when he comes into our life. He blows up our life. So this guy that was used to being you know, respected in the, in the Jewish culture and the Roman culture and financially well off, well, his life changed forever. He lost his prestige and power, and he ended up living with persecution and death threats. And yet he's the one that's saying, you can learn contentment, because I did. Hmm. Contentment is a learned behavior. You have to learn to be content if you want to truly live a life of thanksgiving. Well, maybe you don't want to give up that wonderful time of just complaining and grumbling and complaining and being uh, negative. Reminds me of the dental hygienist who was giving her pep talk to the, of, about frequent brushing and flossing habits to her patient who had difficulty doing this consistently. Okay, let's take a vote here. How many have a hard time brushing their teeth every day? I think we all brush our teeth every day, don't we? Hopefully several times. But the flossing, that's a little problem. How many of you floss every day? I just want to see who does it. One, two, three, four, 
Just four of us, okay. That's a high number. (laughs) So she's talking to her patient, and finally he just couldn't resist. He says, he says, well, doctor, an an old dog can't learn new tricks. And she quickly responded, he can if he wants to keep his teeth. See, if you're willing to learn to be content, you'll discover the secret of thanksgiving. Paul did. In fact, uh, our third point is this. Learn to be content no matter what, what's put on your plate. Mm. Because contentment and thanksgiving is a choice, is it not? A little girl stayed for dinner at the home of her first grade friend. And the vegetable was buttered broccoli. George Bush, the elder, the president guy, he hated broccoli, right? How many of you knew that? Okay, you're showing your age here, okay. So uh, anyway, I love broccoli. I don't know, let's take a vote here. If you love buttered broccoli, raise your hand. Yeah, most of us here. If you hate it, just, you know, tell us the truth. Okay, we got two in the back, and uh, you will not be getting buttered broccoli, okay. So the little girl stayed for dinner at the home of her first grade friend. So they're both, these two girls are in the first grade. How old are they? Six, yes, that would be correct. And so the mother asked her if she liked broccoli. And she said, oh, yes, I love it. But when the bowl of broccoli was passed around, she declined to take any of it. The hostess said, I thought you said you love broccoli. And the little first grade girl replied sweetly, Oh, yes, ma'am, I do, but not enough to eat it. (laughs) Wow, it can be difficult getting kids to eat broccoli or vegetables. Aren't we the same way? God sometimes puts some broccoli on our plates. Maybe he spooned out on your plate a helping of sickness. Or maybe you are staring at a big dish of loneliness. Your plate can get piled up with a lot of unpleasant entrees that you'd really rather not have. But you know what? They don't disappear. They stay on your plate. And there's no dog underneath the table to get rid of the stuff. I was in the Philippines a long time ago. We built a church in Andubuin, which is in a communist and witchcraft area. How about that? Communists and the witch doctor said, they'll never build a church here. And when we did, uh, we paid for it. This guy, Joel, came in and did it, this young pastor. I couldn't believe it. It was out in the middle of nowhere on a hill. And uh, I went to dedicate it. He handed me snow boots. Do you know what you use snow boots for in the Philippines? Mud. (laughs) The mud was this thick when you walked in the last 80 yards. And I dedicated this place. There were 35 people there. And I thought, my goodness, what did we do? I blamed my brother, John Mark, my older brother, who was our missions pastor. I said, I can't believe we built this. I said, there's nobody here. I mean, I was grateful for the 35 people. I was most grateful for the church dog who was right in the middle of the service. 
And it was a room about this size. Uh, and he, he was right there, and he slept the whole way through the service. And then he was my good buddy during the dinner. Because I was, food wasn't that good. <laughs> he was happy, I was happy. But hey, maybe, maybe you know, in our life, there's no dog under the table to get rid of things that's on our plate. You know what? You have to clean your plate. It's not a question of whether or not you will take, uh, you will take what you get. The real, que- real question is how will you take it? By the way, I got a report. That guy that built the church there in Andabuin, he left. I don't blame him. If you would have told me that 17, 18 years later there would have been 70 people in that church, I would have done cartwheels in the mud. A woman pastor came along, and I got a report that she has now built the church, and it has 12 preaching points in the region. And she brought them all together for a big conference, and there's 600 people in that ministry. So the church that I thought was going to turn into nothing has turned into a juggernaut for the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, God always knows what he's doing, and uh, you, you and I think we know, but he's the only one that really knows. So Paul explains that if you want to discover the secret of thanksgiving, you've lear- got to learn to be content with whatever is put on your plate. How do you do that? Paul says it comes down to choice. Here's a slide I want you to look at. I will not allow my external circumstances to affect my internal attitude. Put more plainly, I'm not going to let what happens to me rob me of my gratefulness. Let's, let's all read that together, okay? Let's read it now. I will not allow my external circumstances to affect my internal attitude. Put more plainly, I'm not going to let what happens to me rob me of my gratefulness. And you know, demons are lying to us, trying to rob us of our gratefulness during hard times. Well, I just celebrated 38 years of pastoring at my church. And there's always some reason to quit. Have you ever noticed? And uh, the Lord told me I could quit. He said, just do it tomorrow. God is so clever. So I get to tomorrow, and I go, Lord, you said I could quit. He goes, yeah, you can quit. Just do it tomorrow. And then I, you know, I do it, and I go, Lord, you said I could quit. He goes, yeah, you can quit. Just do it tomorrow. And here we are 38 years later. So I decided that God didn't want me to quit, so I'm persevering. So now I'm 65, and I'm going to try to pull another 10 years. So... Who knows what the Lord's going to do? I've also been sharing the forgiveness message at different places around the world. And some of you know that I wrote a book on it. And some of you have read it. Uh, forgiveness, it is not optional. And I've just finished a second book, uh, Emotional Holiness. It's not optional. How to deal with negative emotions and the demons that attach themselves to those negative emotions. So the next 10 years are going to be me pastoring and then trying to develop ministry around the world uh, in this area. Paul says this, uh, I've been on top of the world and the bottom of the barrel, and uh, you know what? I'm not going to let the negative thing that happens to me change me. And I'm not going to let the the highs change me. 
I'm going to learn how to be even killed. Doesn't that sound good? I, I, I still watch football, and uh, I am so irritated with everybody now because they do a great play or they score a touchdown. They celebrate for like six minutes, it seems like. Uh, you know, when they go into the end zone and score a touchdown, somebody said, you know, why don't you act like you've been here before and just give the ball to the referee? They say about the great Johnny Unitas, who played where you could bump and run the receiver down the field until he threw the ball. That's a different game than what they're playing now. Anyway, you can never tell by the way he walked off a field if he threw an interception or a touchdown. He was even killed. Listen, that's what God wants us to be. And it comes when we begin to develop thankfulness for in, in the difficult times. Paul said this, he says in 2 Corinthians 11, from the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. That boy, that's easy to read. What that was is 39 stripes with the cat of nine tails. And a lot of guys died from it. And it left you, your midsection, as they wrapped the... the uh, the whip around you and pulled it. It had nine endings of rock or, or glass, and it would just rip your, the middle of your body. And uh, uh, he, that was 39 of those. He did that five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Who? Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I've been in the deep. In journeys often in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils of the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil and sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Wow. Boy, he had a, he had a difficult time. And he, he's God's star. The star of the New Testament is after Jesus is Paul the Apostle. And God didn't let him have it on easy street. He's a man who knows what it is to hurt, to suffer, to feast at the table of full food and listen to the stomach growl with hunger. He knows all the highs and lows, and yet he is commanding us to be people of thanksgiving, people of contentment story of a young man who went to a short-term missions trip to a, are you ready for this, a leper colony in the island of Tobago. Does anybody know where Trinidad and Tobago is? Just curious. It's right by Guyana in South America. And Guyana is famous because of Jim Jones, yeah. And it's also the nation, only nation in South America that speaks English as the primary a language. So he's at this leper colony in the island of Tobago. And he said he saw close up how less leprosy destroy, destroyed the bodies and lives of people. On his final day, he led music during the worship service and asked anyone if they had a favorite song. One woman raised her hand and he saw the most disfigured face he'd ever seen. She had no ears. She had no nose, she had no lips, and when she raised her hand, it was fingerless because the leprosy had taken the fingers. And he said, what would you like to sing, ma'am? And she said, count your many blessings. 
Wow. Count your many blessings. He started singing it. He couldn't finish it. Later, somebody said, I guess you'll never be able to sing that song again. And uh, he said, well, I will, but I'll never sing it the same way. That lady taught the young man the secret of thanksgiving. To be content with whatever God puts on your plate. It's an issue of thankfulness. It's an issue of choice. Fourth point is this. To, be learn, to learn to be content no matter what's put on your plate because Christ is enough. Turn to your neighbor and say, Christ is enough. We have a quote from Agnes Maud Royden. Here we go. When we have nothing left but God, then you, then you become aware that God is enough. <laughs> Ever been there? Most of us would rather take Agnes's word for this than actually experience it. The word in verse 13 has comforted many people. The phrase, I can do all things. Folks, that is not a Superman verse. It doesn't mean you can... Through, because of the power of Christ, you can do something like leap a tall building or you're not Superman. What it really means is I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do the thing that is hard for me to do. I will persevere through and I will continue to serve the Lord. So you can do all things, endure all things with contentment and thanksgiving because you have Jesus. I want to close with this uh, story. Tim Vanderveen was a tall, broad-shouldered, curly hair, smile as broad as the dawn, as handsome as they come. And uh, this young man, after graduating from college, took a job scurried up the ladder of success about as quickly as anyone can. And then, one November afternoon, Tim called his good friend and former professor, Tim Brown. Professor Brown said, hey, Tim, how are you doing? He said, a weak, trembling voice said, I'm not doing so good, professor. Professor Brown said, what's up with you? He said, I'm in the hospital in Grand Rapids, I got the flu or something. My folks are out of the country. So the professor said, well, I'm going into Grand Rapids. I'll pay you a visit. So by the time the professor who got there visited Tim, the doctors had already been there. And it wasn't the flu. It was leukemia. Now, three years later, Pastor Brown, the professor, who's been pastoring now a number of years also, Walked into room 5255 in Spectrum Hospital. It had been three years since that last visit. He walked in and Tim's mother was sitting in the corner crying. And Tim was lying on his side. Pillows are positioned between his skinny little legs. His hair isn't curly anymore. And there isn't enough energy for him to look up. So the professor gets down on one knee to look eyeball to eyeball. Tim said, hi, Professor. 
He said, hi. Then the long, awkward pause. Finally, Tim said something. He said, I have learned something. And uh, so the pastor said, tell me, partner, what you've learned. And he said, I've learned that life is not like a VCR. Well, that didn't make any sense (laughs) to you or to me or to the pastor. Finally, the pastor said, I don't know what you mean. Tim said, it's not like, life is not like a VCR. You can't fast forward through the bad times. Well, how do you respond to someone that's dying that makes a comment like that? And then he goes on to say, Pastor Brown, I've learned that Jesus Christ is in every frame And right now, that's just enough. Wow. Jesus is enough. If you know Jesus, you have a God who hears you. The power of love behind you. The Holy Spirit within you. And if you have Jesus, you have grace for every struggle, direction for every turn, and an anchor for every storm. You have everything you need to learn to be content. Everything to deal with whatever is on your plate. So the Thanksgiving secret is contentment and thanksgiving go hand in hand. Do you have Jesus today? Is Jesus in your life? We need Jesus because he's the only one that makes life sense, uh, sense of difficult times. So if you bow your heads, please. I'm wondering, is there anyone here that uh, does not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior and needs to accept Jesus today on this Thanksgiving Sunday? Just raise your hand. Anyone here need to know the Lord? He will take you through the difficult times. He will forgive you of all your sins. And he'll get you ready for eternity. Last call. Is there anyone here that needs to accept Jesus? I trust then that we all know him. Lord, we thank you. We give you uh, praise and glory for the idea of contentment and thankfulness that flows from the Word of God. Help us to be your maturity in difficult times in people's lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.